God wanted David to learn. It's not about me. It was his leadership test. David finally learned, and he passed it. Leadership's about serving, not being served. David was a servant leader. Welcome to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. What does it really mean to be a servant leader? Ralph Waldo Emerson once said, it's one of the most beautiful compensations of life that no man can sincerely try to help another without helping himself. Today, Pastor Chadwick shows how King David exemplified what it means to be a servant leader. John 13 tells us that he took a towel and a basin And he knelt and went from disciples' feet to disciples' feet to disciples' feet, and he washed their feet, trying to tell them that leadership's about foot washing, is about serving, is about giving, not being the greatest. That's the message that God wanted David to learn. It was his leadership test. It's not about me. David finally learned, and he passed it. Leadership's about serving, not being served. David learned it and passed the test. David was a servant leader. That's God's desire for all of us who are influencing anyone else. Let me give you several examples of servant leadership I've thought of. Many of you may know I had the privilege of playing basketball at the University of North Carolina under Dean Smith. Now, now I understand, y'all. Let's give a little honor to March Madness here, okay? Um, I understand that many of you are ABCers, anybody but Carolina. I, I get that, okay? And that if North Carolina played the Taliban, you would root for the Taliban. I get that, okay? I understand that. Nevertheless, Dean Smith got this principle. He understood this, that his job was to serve and not be served. And every one of us who played for him knew that, and that's why we loved playing for him so much. Let me give you a story that exemplifies Coach Smith's understanding of serving, not being served. In the mid-1980s, North Carolina was playing one of those games of the year against the University of Maryland. The winner of it would receive the top seed in the Eastern Regional. That would always mean you stay close to home and give you an advantage to try to reach the Final Four. Maryland had a great team. North Carolina had a great team. The week before the game, King Rice, the starting point guard on North Carolina's team, got into a campus altercation, was thrown into jail. He didn't call Coach Smith, even though Coach Smith told us always, if you're ever in trouble, I don't care, after you've even graduated, call me, I'll always be there for you. Coach Smith had to go find him and assured him, I'm here to help you, King, always. Well, that week in the press, there was a furious debate over whether Coach Smith should start King Rice or not. You know, he shouldn't, he's in jail, he shouldn't have that privilege. But Coach Smith steadfastly stood behind his player and said, he's innocent until proven guilty. So he started him in the game. And he played horribly awful, especially in the last five minutes. He threw the ball out of bounds, kicked the ball, turned it over. The normally magnanimous North Carolina crowd toward light blue 
started yelling, cascading boos down upon King Rice and Coach Smith. Take him out. Take him out. This game's too important. Take him out. Coach Smith wouldn't. And North Carolina lost the game. In the locker room after the game was Richard Venrood. Richard's the former mayor of the city of Charlotte. Richard's about my height, 6'7", and uh, Richard went to Vietnam to serve our country, and Coach Smith would send him every week a cassette tape of each one of the games. Remember cassette tapes? Okay. <laughs> and Richard and Coach Smith had like a surrogate father-son relationship. But after that game, Richard was ticked. Like so many Carolina fans, he felt like Coach Smith had really blown it. So he said to him, Coach Smith, I just don't understand why you did that. You know, I love you, I care for you, but you really made a bad decision today. You should have taken King Rice out of that game. A backup point guard would have been better than how horribly he was playing. And Richard told me the story. Coach Smith came up to him, and Coach Smith's about 5'10", and stuck his finger up close to Richard's nose. <laughs> said, I'll tell you something, Richard Vinroot. He said, King Rice's sense of self-worth for the rest of his life is far more important to me than winning a stupid Atlantic Coast Conference basketball game. Coach Smith gets it. The purpose of the leader is to serve and not be served. And people ask me all the time, why were you guys so willing to run through brick walls for that man? That's the reason. It's an eternal spiritual truth. The purpose of power and leadership is to serve, not be served. Now, let me take a moment and give you a parenthesis, because I think I need to tell you this. You can be very successful as a leader publicly in your office, but if you're not a leader at home, you failed. David is a perfect example of this. First of all, let's look at how a husband is supposed to relate to his wife biblically in marriage. And you'll see this profound principle of serving, not being served, continuing. Adam and Eve had their honeymoon in paradise, and everything went downhill from there. <laughs> Abraham lied two times to Pharaoh, saying that his wife Sarah was his sister so that he would avoid some kind of punishment. Wise, bold, courageous guy, right? Can you imagine what the conversation with them was that night? And then he impregnated Sarah's servant girl, Hagar. Isaac and Rebekah spent their marriage quibbling over their two sons. Isaac favored his manly outdoor son, Esau. His wife favored mama's boy, Jacob. Jacob had kids by two wives and also the two servant girls of his wife. Twelve kids in all were born to them. And as you look at their quibbling and problems, you say, now that's really a dysfunctional family. All we have about Moses and his wife Zipporah is they had a huge argument over the circumcising of their son, and she called Moses a bridegroom of blood. She's a real encourager, isn't she? Job went through all kinds of trials and troubles, and at some point near the end, his wife finally said to him, why don't you just curse God and die? Thank you very much, Mrs. Job. Back to David. He had 10 wives, 10. 
And people ask me all the time, how do you justify polygamy in the Bible? Well, it was never God's original intent. God made it clear in Genesis 2.24 what he wanted marriage to be between a man and a woman forever. But God allows the hardness of human heart, like with divorce, that was never God's intent. He wanted us to learn how to love each other and be together forever. Nor did he intend polygamy, but he made provisions for it because he knew how evil our hearts were. But David had ten wives and many children, and each one was a disaster. Here's this man after God's own heart, and he couldn't even love his wife, which reminds me of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Guys, are you ready to get your feet stamped on just a bit? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, if marriage is very important to God, which it is, and if everything rises and falls on leadership in the world, which it does, maybe successful, godly, Christ-centered marriages begins with the leader of the home, the husbands, granted that privilege by God, who are called, like Jesus did with the church, to be willing to die for their wives. And I don't know a woman alive who wouldn't gladly follow a man who's willing to die for her in love. I'll say it again. David Chadwick can be successful in this community, have all kinds of followers, all kinds of acclaim. But if I fail with Marilyn, I failed. Period. And David, as a father... He had many children by these different wives, but there's one story that sticks out to me. Uh, Amnon, one of his sons, had a real crush on one of his half-sisters named Tamar. She evidently was a babe. So he forced himself upon her. Absalom, another son of David, was ticked off, and he killed Amnon. Well, David was ticked off then at Absalom for killing Amnon, and he relegated him out of the kingdom. He stayed there for three years until finally someone came to David and said, invite Absalom back. Your heart's breaking. You need to have contact with your son. So David invited him back, but then for two years didn't speak to him. During those two years, Absalom became so angry at his father that he developed a strategy for building relationships with all the powerful people in the kingdom and overthrew his father's throne. He basically came into Jerusalem, kicked his dad out, and wanted his dad dead. Why? I would suggest to you it's because David as a dad was a failure. He was a man after God's own heart, but he missed it with marriage and he missed it with his kids. I've said this so often. How do kids spell love, folks? How? T-I-M-E. And David failed to spend any time with Absalom. My daddy was such a powerful influence on my life. I don't remember a whole lot about what he ever taught me. I just remember him modeling faith in Christ. And my faith from my dad was largely caught, not taught. Hey, men, and you women too. You can be successful in the world, but you only get these kids once. You don't ever get them again. And if your primary energy is going to be successful and your kids grow up not to follow Jesus and to rebel, you failed. 
Now, I know some kids are going to rebel no matter what. You can't feel that guilt. But during these years when you have them, during these formative years, give your lives to them. So David was a great leader, publicly failed at home. Is there a way to bring them together? There is, folks. If you make your primary calling in the workplace and at home to serve and not be served, that is the example of Jesus that Paul gives to us in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself and becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Coming up, David and I discuss his latest Davidism. We'll be right back. This is the Ministry Minute, focusing on ministries that have a positive impact on our community. I'm Mark McManus, and here is Jim Noble with the Dream Center Charlotte. Hello, my name is Jim Noble with the Charlotte Mecklenburg Dream Center. And Bo and I, the director of the Dream Center, just wanted to take a minute and tell you guys thank you. Moments of hope, David and Marilyn Chadwick, all of you there, Dean, we all have been phenomenal for us. Uh, you, you've been there since 08 when we started King's Kitchen. And that kind of grew into the Dream Center and the meals we've fed the last eight weeks, probably exceeding 55,000 now, I guess. Uh, we're so grateful you guys have made such an impact in the city by reaching out to those that have needs greater than we have. And uh, what do you think, Bo? Yeah, so it's been amazing to, to just watch the, the work that's happened. Um, with the meals as they've gone out, you know, uh, we, I always tell people it's not about the food, it's about the relationships that are formed and the ministry that takes place. And so, um, and JT Williams and Tom Westboro and Reed Park, I mean, it has opened up doors that we never thought would be open. Um, you know, we've seen people come out um, and just welcomed us with open arms, just so grateful for the meals. And, and we just thank you, Moments of Hope, and just this couldn't be, this wouldn't be possible without you guys. And, you know, uh, the, the first call we made uh, when we decided to go this route, and provide these meals was the moments of hope and it was uh, a phone call that was met with a resounding yes and so we're so appreciative of you guys and just um, everything you all do for us and for the kingdom and not only that but you uh, also set into our kitchen in the dream center now this week started producing meals there and as the restaurants open back up all the meals will shift to the dream center with the kitchen you helped us do so we're so grateful you guys god bless you god bless moments of hope and we just pray an unlimited return harvest on the seed you sowed into this ministry thank you very much
Thanks for listening to Moments of Hope. I'm Jen Houston, and with me is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thanks for joining us today. Hi, Jen. I hope you are doing well. I am. Thank is, you. Is your family okay? My family's doing well. Are they well. doing good? Okay. And your husband, Chris? My husband, Chris. All yeah. Right. He's I doing just want, fantastic. I wanted to check on you all to make sure that you're okay. You are <laughs> so thoughtful. Thank you, David. We are well. We have gas in our tanks and we're doing well. Well, if you have gas in your tank, you're probably way ahead of most everybody else out there who <laughs> are all struggling with uh, long gas lines. And for those of us who are a bit older, we remember the 1970s mm-hmm. when during the Jimmy Carter presidency, uh, we had these long gas lines that people had to wait in. And it's uh-huh. very similar, eerily similar to those days as well. Yeah, there is a lot going on for sure. Well, let's talk a little bit today about your latest Davidism that is called Sanctified Serendipities. Can you talk to us about this? <laughs> well, a lot of people wonder, what in the world does that phrase mean? Right. Let, let me unpack it. Have you ever read Aesop's Fables? I've heard it. Yeah, many yeah. of the stories there are well known and people love to tell them. They give great insights into practical living. Mm-hmm. Well, one of Aesop's fables is about a man who would regularly travel to a land called Serendip. And when he was there, there would always be strange and unexpected occurrences that would happen. And Aesop's fables would tell about this man's travels, and each one would be a different kind of surprise that would happen to him when he was in the land of Serendip. And over time, as people read that and loved the fables, that word Serendip was translated into serendipities. That's where the word comes from. And it means when you have strange and unexpected occurrences that happen in your life. Mm -hmm. You know, those amazing, out-of-nowhere surprises that come to you, and you're sitting there scratching your head going, gosh, where did that come from? Mm -hmm. And you call it a serendipity. Again, it's rooted in Aesop's fable about this man who would travel to that strange land called Serendip where all of these unexpected occurrences would happen to him. So somebody along the way coined the phrase sanctified serendipities, Mm. saying basically that in God's economy, there's no such thing as a serendipity, Mm -hmm. that there's no such thing as a total, complete surprise, that if God is sovereign over all of his universe and knows the name of every single one of us and knows the order of our cells and atoms in each one of our human bodies, that, you know, there's that old phrase, if one atom is out of God's control, then every atom is outside Mm. of God's control. He oversees everything in life. So if that's the case, again, there's no such thing as a serendipity. There's a sanctified serendipity. The word sanctify means set apart, holy. It means that God oversees everything that happens in our lives. And what may seem like a surprise in our lives is really God's sovereign oversight of our lives. Let me share with you a quick one, Jen, that happened in my life that has had a profound effect upon me. Um, I had this guy who kept bugging me about meeting this girl named Marilyn. (laughs) And this was when I was in seminary, and she was a little bit younger than I was. She just graduated from the University of Georgia. But this guy kept bugging me and bugging me and bugging me. And I finally said, okay, I'll call her. And we made a blind date. And bottom line is we enjoyed each other so much we stayed 10 hours on the blind date and then were engaged three months later and then we're married nine months later. But what's so interesting is this guy was visiting Marilyn's roommate during Marilyn's time in Atlanta. 
And Marilyn was coming to that apartment where she was staying an early morning, but her car broke down and she was four hours late. So she finally got there. The car was fixed and she got into the apartment's uh, parking lot, got out, walked up the stairs. And right at that moment, this guy was walking down the stairs who had been visiting with Marilyn's roommate. And she was walking up. He was walking down. They said hi. Then he went on. And then later he went back to his roommate and said, who is she? I think she would really enjoy a friend of mine named David and you know, set the whole thing up. Bottom wow. line is he wouldn't have had this opportunity to introduce Marilyn to me if it had not been for a five-second encounter oh with her as she was walking up the stairs, he was walking down the stairs, and plus her car had broken down, delaying her getting to mm-hmm. the apartment that morning for four hours. And I look at that and I say, you know what? That is the best definition of serendipity yeah. I could possibly think of. That is uh, so neat. A strange, unexpected, surprising occurrence that really was dramatically life-changing for me because she now the love of my life, been married over 40 years. We have three children, eight grandchildren, and we don't know how many others will be affected in generations to mm-hmm. come because of that five-second serendipity. But it really wasn't a strange, unexpected encounter from God's yeah. economy. It was a sovereign, sanctified serendipity. Yeah. He was overseeing everything. He yeah. arranged for that five-second encounter with Steve for Marilyn to then meet and for him to introduce me to her. Everything's under God's control. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you might have a strange, unexpected serendipity like that that's happened in your life. Well, I've been thinking, and I know there are countless the countless stories that I could tell. One, one recently, I was putting my daughter to bed, and she's she's a teenager, you know, young, early teen, and so those are our really precious moments, just the two of us. And she had said something to me about, you know, you had the best childhood because you had puppies all the time. You know, my parents bred dogs. And so we always had litters of puppies. And, you know, and we don't have a dog. My husband's allergic. You know, we like to travel. And so we don't. And she, of course, every child wants a pet. Um, So I just said, you know, there are some things about my childhood that you don't know that weren't so easy. You know, like you've got, you know, peace and joy and a community around you and different things. And I was able to like tell her of the good things that she had. And maybe the Lord just gave me puppies as a child. Well, lo and behold, a couple weeks after we had this precious conversation of just flipping the switch on perspective, Mm -hmm. something happened in my life that kind of fell apart. And I was able to go back and say, Lord, you prepared my daughter and me to have these conversations about growing up because of that one conversation about these puppies. And so now we have this baseline of intimacy and language. So it's not quite that five second moment, but I I feel like it definitely was not a coincidence. Well, every moment is a five-second moment. That's the whole point of this message today, that there is no serendipity, this unexpected occurrence that happens, like you have this wonderful conversation with a early teen, and just to have that conversation is meaningful within itself because Mm -hmm. those are precious moments. But then that opens up the door to something else, which opens up the door to something else. And Jim, you've got the idea that there is no such thing really in the English language as a serendipity, Mm -hmm. that everything is a sanctified serendipity. God's overseeing everything in our lives. 
and we just need to trust him in the moment yeah. that he's working, he's present, he's powerful, and somehow, some way, we'll see maybe later down the road, like you and your conversations with your daughter and me being able to see now eight grandchildren. I love it. God is working in everything, folks. Trust him. He's yeah. overseeing your life. He's in control, and there will be great faith in your heart that increases when you realize that reality today and forever. That's so powerful. Thank you so much, David. And everyone, if you'd like to receive these daily written Moments of Hope, go to momentsofhopechurch.org. Subscribe there. They're free of charge. My heart to yours. Every morning, 7 a.m., they'll arrive in your inbox to help your day start with a moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. Today's message is from our online worship service, and you can be a part of our service each Sunday morning at both 9 and 11 o'clock by going to momentsofhopechurch.org. While you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moments of Hope, delivered every morning to your inbox. Also, check out David's weekly Hopecast. They're both free and available through our website. Again, that web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for the leaders of our nation.